Let's turn our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll put in at verse 4. The writer, continuing in his discussion of the subject of faith, says there in verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Having described the nature of faith in verses 1 and 2, and established that faith is the means by which we make sense of our world, verse 3, the author of Hebrews now sets out to demonstrate the fact that faith is not something that is confined to the heart, but that faith expresses itself in the life. And as such, he presents in this chapter, beginning at verse 4, a vast array of Old Testament saints he describes in verse 2 as the people of old who by faith were enabled to do great exploits for God, overcome enormous obstacles and challenges, and accomplishing what would have otherwise been dismissed as being humanly impossible. This impressive lineup of men and women who dared to believe God has been described in various ways. It has been described as the heroes of faith. Some have characterized it as God's honor roll of faith. Others have termed it faith's who's who. And Abel, whom we're considering this morning, has the distinction of being the first in a long list of saints whose lives were extraordinarily distinguished by faith in God. In Abel, we are going to see that the whole matter of faith as it relates to the true worship of God, that is our subject this morning, faith as it relates to the true worship of God. Now here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, we have a reference to Genesis 4, which tells of Cain and Abel presenting their offerings before the Lord and how the Lord responded to them. Picking up at verse 2 of Genesis 4, we read, And again she bore, that is Eve, bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, 
And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him, and so on and so forth. In this account, we see the first ever occurrence of persecution. Persecution of such hostile, violent, and even fatal proportions issuing in Abel being the first martyr in the history of the people of God. Now, in summarizing the narrative and more so, in using it to illustrate the critical importance of faith in the worship of God, the writer of Hebrews says here, in the A part of verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent or acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And we want to study this subject this morning of, of faith in relation to the worship of God. And in studying this passage this morning, Abel's faith, we call attention first of all to what is seen in the opening words of verse 4 as the enabling power of faith, the enabling power of faith. We see in this verse that faith is the means by which we are enabled to properly worship God. We cannot worship God apart from faith. Faith is so crucial that even when it comes to the matter of our relating to God, our venturing to worship God, it is all a matter of faith. To worship him in a manner that is acceptable to him, that is pleasing to him, requires faith. That Abel's offering was more acceptable to God than that of Cain parallels Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, which says that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So that we have to ask a question this morning, why was Abel's sacrifice acceptable to God while, Ab while Cain's was not? Now the most popular reason that's cited, and you'll hear this in many circles, you'll find this in many commentaries, is that Abel's sacrifice was accepted, Cain's was not, because Abel's sacrifice was a blood sacrifice. By offering a blood sacrifice, Abel, it is argued, was trusting in the blood of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, the coming Messiah, in bringing to God an offering of the fruit of the ground, Cain was presenting to God not only the labor of his hands, but the product of the sin-cursed earth. So the argument goes. The problem with this popular view, and if you'll recall when we were in the book of Genesis, I, I covered this. The problem with this view, popular as it is, is that while it is a reasonable assumption, and let me make it very, very clear, that in saying this, we are not discounting, obviously not, God forbid that we are discounting the power and efficacy of the blood of Christ for salvation. Some would see our treatment of this passage as doing just the opposite, and I'm suggesting that it is not. And here's the point that I'm making. The problem with this popular view 
is that while it is a reasonable assumption, it is nothing more than an argument from silence. And you know very well what we want to do in biblical exposition when we are reading the Bible, when we are preaching and teaching the Bible. We do not want to read ideas. We do not want to read meanings into the passage or text of Scripture. The fact is there's no indication in Genesis 4 nor Hebrews chapter 11 that Cain had received instructions from God as to, watch this, the specific kind of sacrifice they were to offer to him. And of note is that the writer of the Hebrews does not, does not cite the fact that Cain's offering was rejected because it was of the fruit of the ground and hence it, because it was not a blood sacrifice, it was no good. Indeed, by the time we get to the book of Leviticus, and we did a study in Leviticus some time ago, we saw that there are all kinds of sacrifices and offerings which God accepted. Not just those of blood, but that God prescribed for his people to approach and worship him. But what we can say with absolute certainty, however, is that these two brothers must have received from God some form of directive related to their approach to him with regard to how they should worship him. And how do we know that? Because we're told in our text that by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And by its very nature, faith... Watch this, is prompted by the revealed, declared word of God. Faith never comes out of our head. Faith never arises from our emotions. Faith is always grounded on the revealed, declared word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14 and 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear some without someone preaching? Here's what Paul says, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are suggesting here that God evidently spoke to these boys concerning how they were to approach him, how they were to come to him, but not necessarily that one was or both were to bring blood sacrifices. The text doesn't really tell us that. You see, generated by the word of God, faith not only appropriates the promises of God, the word of God, but obeys the demands of the word of God. So that by virtue of Abel's attitude of faith toward the revealed word of God, his attitude of faith, his attitude of trust in God, God had regard for Abel's sacrifice over against the sacrifice, the offering of Cain. Abel, lesson, offered to God a more excellent, a more acceptable Sacrifice than Cain, why? All because he had the right kind of attitude to God. And what was that attitude? It was the attitude of faith. It was not particularly because of the sacrifice he brought 
to God. As one commentator puts it, and I think rightly so, he says this quote, the superiority of Abel's sacrifice is not in the fact that he first of all offered a sacrifice of blood or even the best of the flock, but rather that it was in faith. And this seems to be the central idea of our text, which of course leads to our concluding that Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable to God. God rejected Cain's sacrifice because of his contrary attitude. Because of his contrary attitude. And from the portrait that scripture presents of Cain, he was clearly not a person of faith. His was not an attitude of faith, but one of stubborn self-will. Let's look at some scriptures. Note, first of all, that after the Lord rejected his offerings, that's Cain's offering, see the kind of person he was. Cain, we see in Genesis 4, entered a fit of rage. He was angry. According to Genesis 4, verse 5, Cain was very angry and his face fell. Such that the Lord had to confront him of this. In verses 6 and 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And two things we observe from what the Lord said to him. One we notice, first of all, that instead of being chastened and humbled before God, instead of being repentant toward God, penitent toward God, Cain, what was his attitude? He was bitter. He was resentful. He was unrepentant. And the second thing we notice from what God told him was this. is the suggestion that Cain very well knew why God did not accept him. He knew why God did not accept him. He knew precisely what God required of him. But what was Cain's problem? Cain had an attitude problem. He had, we would say, a bad attitude. He lacked faith toward God. His was an attitude of stubborn self-will. It's the same kind of thing we see today, my friend, in religious circles. You, for example, talk to people about Christ, talk to them about the gospel, and you hear them say, well, I am not into organized Christianity. I am spiritual. I'm spiritual. Nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with the gospel. Rather than remedying the situation and endeavoring to please God, what did Cain then do? Notice, he took out his anger, he took out his frustration on his brother Abel by murdering him in cold blood. Genesis 4 verse 8, again, when confronted by the Lord, rather than being repentant, Cain, notice, he was brazenly arrogant. The Bible says there in Genesis 9 verse 4, Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel? That is verse 9 of Genesis 4. The Lord said to him, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Do you see something of his heart there? The kind of heart that Cain had, the kind of attitude that he had, even as he brought his offerings before God? Our second scripture is 1 John 3 verse 12. 
And there in 1 John 3 and verse 12, the Apostle John describes Cain as being of the evil one. Simply put, what John is saying there is this, that Cain was a child of the devil. He was a child of the devil. John says of him that he was of the evil one and murdered his brother. He was not a child of the evil one because he murdered his brother. He, was a, he murdered his brother because of the nature of his heart. He murdered his brother because his own deeds were evil. Watch that. His own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. For John, the fundamental issue with Cain was this. Cain was morally and spiritually compromised. In character, he was the evil one, he was of the evil one. In gospel terms, you would say of Cain that Cain was an unsaved, unregenerate man. He had a heart that was set on sin, that was bent on evil. Our third scripture. Is Jude 11, in which Jude singles out three notorious examples in the Old Testament of apostasy. Remember what we said apostasy was earlier in these studies, the book of Hebrews. Apostasy is not backsliding. Apostasy is the willful, decided, deliberate departure from the known truth of God it is to walk away, it is to fall away, decidedly so, from the faith. So Jude cites three notorious examples of apostasy in the New Testament. He cites, number one, the error of Balaam, number two, the rebellion of Korah, and what he describes as the way of Cain, the way of Cain. What was the way of Cain? Jew doesn't tell us. He assumes that we know, and what we could say, what is the way of Cain? And someone says, what is the way of Cain, or what was the way of Cain? We could say this, that in reasonably general terms, the way of Cain, here it comes, is that attitude, manner, of conduct, of thinking, that is contrary and hostile to the will and way of God. It is a way of thinking. It is a way of ordering one's life. It is an attitude that is contrary, that is hostile to the will and way of God. It's a kind of way that even when it comes to the matter of worshiping God, of serving God, it is a kind of way that says, I did it my way. So the overall impression we have of Cain, explaining then why God had no regard for him nor of his offering, was that his whole manner of life, Cain's whole manner of life, his whole attitude of heart before the Lord was simply not right. It was not good. As Horatius Bernard describes the way of Cain, he says this quote, it was evil, not good. He's an open and defiant sinner, and in him sin takes its full swing. He's no common transgressor. He runs no ordinary career of wickedness. He rushes to the extremity of evil, end quote. 
By contrast, we are saying this morning, why was Abel's brother accepted? Why was his offering accepted? Because he had the right attitude, which a writer describes here as an attitude of faith, as an attitude of trust, of openness toward the word and will of God. His faith was not in the sacrifice that he brought to the Lord. His faith, rather, was in the Lord himself. Regarding faith, then, we notice concerning Abel, the enabling power of faith. It was that power which enabled them to properly, rightly, appropriately worship God. Regarding Abel's faith, not only do we see the enabling power of faith, but we see, secondly, the effective nature of his faith. The effective nature of his faith. And we see this in the B part as well as the C part of verse 4 of our text, Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Here it comes, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And the big question here is to what does the pronoun which refer? Is the pronoun which referring to the sacrifice he offered or is it to faith? If you look at it very carefully, grammatically speaking, it could be either. Although I must tell you, I remember when we were doing English language in high school, we were told that the pronoun must be closest to its antecedent. So the closest antecedent here would be the sacrifice. But theologically speaking, and of course, you know, sometimes the writers... Listen, what is their first agenda? It is, it is theology, it is not grammar. That's why Paul can say, for example, to him who is able to do exceedingly, more exceedingly abundantly above all. If I wrote that in English class, my teacher would have crossed it up. Poor grammar. Paul could do that because he was writing under divine inspiration, and guess what? He was right. The reason I think... The pronoun which relates to faith and not to sacrifice is this. In fact, few reasons. One, it is because throughout this chapter, and indeed elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, the writer has been on this track where he has been emphasizing what? The subject of faith. He has been doing that from as far back as chapter 2. Chapter 10, the previous chapter, he closed by saying, My righteous one shall live by faith. And here in this chapter, he spends a whole length of time, the entire chapter, discussing the subject of faith. So throughout the book, throughout the chapter, this chapter, his emphasis has been on the crucial value of faith in the life of the Christian and the premium that God places on it. Notice secondly in verse 2, in verse 2, he had established that it was by faith that the people of old obtained a good report by which they were commended. In fact, in verse 6, he'll go on to say that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So once again, notice here 
The point is not so much a kind of sacrifice that Abel offered as it was the attitude of faith with which he offered his particular sacrifice. And what the writer is, is saying here, and this pronoun which in verse 4, he says by which, that is to say by which faith he was accounted righteous. That's how I think we are to read the text. It is not so much the sacrifice he offered as it was the faith he exercised in God that enabled him to be accounted righteous by God. How was Abraham accounted righteous by God? Remember, it wasn't because of the sacrifice he made. It was because he believed God. God took him out one night and, and, and said, Abraham, look up in the starry skies. If you can count these, then I will make your descendants as numerous as the sea, as the, as the sands on the seashore. And what did God do? God, the Bible says, Abraham rather believed God and God accounted it to him as righteousness. Regarding Abel's faith, beloved, we see the enabling power of his faith, his, the power of his faith, the enabling power of his faith. It was by faith that he was able to offer to God a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. We see the effective nature of his faith. It is on account of his faith that he was deemed righteous by God. Now, thirdly, what do we see in this passage, in this verse? We see the enduring legacy of his faith. The enduring legacy of his faith. Look at the deep part of verse 4. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. We have here the endless immortal value and virtue of Abel's faith. So precious was his faith to God. So powerful was his testimony that he exhibited through faith that not even death could obliterate its impact. That's how marvelous, that's how great his faith was. And suggested by the writer is that the lasting legacy of Abel's faith, the lasting impression and legacy of Abraham's faith lies in the fact that the scriptural record of his divinely commended faith, through that scriptural record, he continues to testify to the importance of faith in our worship of God and in our relationship with God. You know what that tells us? It tells us something of the tremendous value, the tremendous power there is of a life that bears witness, that bears testimony to faith and godliness. What will you be remembered for after you have died and gone on? Will it be your godly life? Or will it be some earthly consideration, some worldly consideration? The Bible says here, by his faith, even though he's dead, he continues to speak. He continues to speak through the record of his exploit in Scripture. What are the lessons then we learn from this text as we seek to tie everything together this morning? What are the lessons we can take away from this verse the first lesson is a sobering one. And it is this. We see, first of all, the differing impact. 
which spiritual realities may have on individuals. The differing impact which spiritual realities, which the word of God may have on individuals. And what are we saying here? There's no doubt but that Cain and Abel knew the truth regarding sin. They knew the truth regarding God, who God is, what God required of them. No doubt their parents, Adam and Eve, had exposed them to things spiritual, had exposed them to the reality of sin, teaching them what sin is about, teaching them how to approach God, teaching them about the need for sacrifice. Presumably, both brothers worshipped at the same altar. And yet, sadly, these two brothers went to two completely different directions, the one toward the Lord, the other away from the Lord. The one took the way of faith in God, faith toward God. The other took the way of self-will and rebellion against God. And that explains, my friends, why people can be in the same room. They can be under the same sound, the same preaching of the word. And you have some who are moved and you have others who are just not faced. There are people, my friends, who can hear the gospel one time and they come to faith in Christ. You have people who hear the gospel gospel for years and they never budge for Christ. Why is that so? Because of the differing impact which spiritual realities have on individuals. And at the end of the day, we have to attribute that to what? The difference between the saving, electing grace of God and the absence of such grace. Let me tell you, my friends, you are here, my friends, you are saved, yes, You are saved and you are worshipping God this morning only because of the grace of God. That's the plain truth. Cain and Abel had the same exposure. They had the same conditions. They heard the word of God. They heard from God. They knew what God wanted. But here's the point. Two different brothers, two different minds, two different attitudes, two different ways, and two different destinies. Secondly, we see in this passage, in this text, that represented by Cain and Abel and their respective offerings are two disparate, divergent kinds of worshippers at worship. And someone will ask the question, shouldn't we, after all, get to worship God in our own way? In whatever way we conceive him, as the poem Desiderata goes. As long as we are sincere, as long as we are well-intentioned, isn't that okay? It's worship. It's worship, after all. And the answer is no. Why? Because the problem with that is this. Who or what one worships ultimately determines one's eternal destiny. Who or what one worships ultimately determines one's destiny. The truth is the way of Cain and the way of Abel represent at the end of the day two ways. The one which is the broad way that leads to destruction through which many enter. The other is the narrow way through which few go, few find And which leads to eternal life. That's what our Lord Jesus says. The Bible says, enter, Jesus speaking, enter at the 
at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be who go in thereof, because wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in that way. You talk to people about Christ today, and what happens? You're too narrow. That's bigotry. But oh, my friends, unless it is a narrow way, unless it is through the way of the cross, unless it is through faith in Christ, there is no salvation, there is no hope, there is no eternal destiny with God. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The word of God warns in Proverbs 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. The way of Cain is the way of death. The way of Cain is self-willed religion. The way of Cain is the way that says, I will worship God in my own way. I will worship God as I see fit. As long as I'm sincere, God knows my heart. I'm well-intentioned. It's no problem. God will accept me. No, he won't because God demands that God be worshipped in God's own way. Here's a third lesson we, we gather from this verse, and it's this. That one may have all the right doctrines and observe all the right practices of biblical religion and yet be rejected by God. One may have all the right doctrines, one might stick to the regulative principles of worship. One might have the correct forms of worship. And even... Be sacrificial, be devoted, and yet be rejected by God. Here's the point. Was it that Cain denied the existence of God? Absolutely not. We know that for sure. Why? Because he knew God existed. God talked to him in in, in Genesis 4 about his anger. He knew there was a God. Was it that Cain was not as prompt in bringing his offering to the Lord as was Abel? Certainly not. For Genesis 3 verses, 4 verses 3 and 4 makes it clear that in the course of time, both Cain and Abel brought their offerings before the Lord. It wasn't because he wasn't prompt. It wasn't because he didn't have a right conception of God in terms of who God is. It was because he did not believe in the existence of God. No, no. Like Abel, Cain believed in the one true God. Like Abel, Cain well understood that God is to be worshipped. Yet, in the end, Cain was what? Rejected by God. You see, my friends, right beliefs about God. And adherence to correct forms of conduct and worship are not the sole determining factors in one's being accepted by God. This brings us to our fourth point that we're winding down, which is this. Sacrifices and acts of devotion to God, if not accompanied by the proper posture of heart before God, are worthless before the Lord. And this was precisely the case with Cain and his sacrifice, as we said earlier, lacking in faith in God, in trust in God. Cain's attitude was displeasing to the Lord such that the Lord had no regard for him nor for his offering. 
And what we want to understand here, if you go back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 5, notice there's something very important there we need to see. And this theme runs, recurs throughout Scripture. And it is this, that in Scripture, the teaching is clear that the worshiper and his offering are inseparably linked. The worshiper and his offering are inseparably linked so that where the worshiper's conduct, heart, and attitude are not right before God, God deems such worship unacceptable. God always reckons the offering and the offerer as one. That's why Proverbs 15 verse 8 declares, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The question is, why is this sacrifice an abomination? Notice verse 8, that same verse, because it's coming from a wicked heart. That's Cain. We read further in Proverbs 21, 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? Watch there, the heart, the heart. If the heart is not right, the offering is no good. So let's talk a little in closing about some bad attitudes we need to watch in worship. What are some bad attitudes we need to be mindful of? In our worship of God. And I'll only list two. There are, there are many, but in the interest of time, I'll list only two. Attitudes which render our worship unacceptable to God. Number one, it is the mindset which assumes that religious exercises are a substitute for holy, godly living. The mindset that comes to God with the assumption, with the understanding that religious exercises, religious devotions are substitute for holy, godly living. To the people of Judah, who were not humble and contrite before God, they were not taking care of their sins before God, but they were punctilious and dutiful in their acts of devotion toward God. Here is what God said to them concerning their worship. Isaiah 1, 10 through 7 Here's how the Lord addressed them. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. No, he... It's not literally Sodom. But what God is saying here, he says, you see the way you're living? You're like the people of Sodom. He's talking to his own people. He's talking to the people of Judah. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of your God, your, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat, fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs, or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God says, listen, I'm not impressed and I'm not moved at all by acts of devotion, by professed acts of worship that are not accompanied 
by a life of godliness and holiness. And if those words weren't stern enough, then here's what God later told them in Isaiah 66, verse 3. Apparently, they didn't get the message. And here's how he expresses feelings about their sacrifices, about their offerings. Here's what God said to them. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. In essence, what is God saying here? God is saying, look, without humility, without the right heart attitude toward him, sacrificing an ox is like committing murder. He is saying to them that one's offering to him is tantamount to presenting what is unclean and idolatrous. God says, look, when the life of godliness is not accompanying acts of devotion, then all that is done in the name of worship really is in my sight offensive and is as rubbish. That's what God is saying. Secondly, bad attitude, attempting to worship God in a way that is not conscientious and sincere. Coming to God, rendering to him token worship, approaching him in a casual, thoughtless, perfunctory manner, all such attitudes constitute worthless, unacceptable worship. Here's what God charges people with, Malachi 1, 6 through 14. I ask that you bear with me and listen carefully. This is God's word to ancient Israel. He says this, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And God answers them by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Then listen to God's response. God says this, verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you says the Lord of hosts, that I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. You see, the attitude they were coming to God with, they were actually going through the motions, the mechanics of worship, and they actually told the truth. They confessed it's whip. Why, when will church be over? We're tired of this. 
But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the Gentiles. What God is saying here, look, he will not accept worship that is perfunctory, worship that is slipshod, worship that is meaningless, worship that is offered in a token fashion, worship that costs us nothing. He's saying, listen, try that with your boss, try that with your governor and see what he'll do with you. That's a challenge to you and me, you know, that the way we worship God is important. So, in closing, we see then the critical importance of acceptable worship. God will not be worshipped just about anyhow. Later in Hebrews 12, 28, he will say that in gratitude to God, we should worship, we should offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That's what God demands, nothing less, nothing more. Reverential worship, the worship that issues from faith. And then the second thing I want to point out to you in closing is this. The vital, according to our text, we see the vital need for faith in order to be deemed righteous before God. Listen, you're not saved. You never come to Christ to be your Savior. There's no amount of good works that will save you. There's no amount of good intention that will put you in right stead with God. There's no amount of baptism, church membership. There's no amount of sacraments and ordinances that will put you right with God. It has to be faith in God. Abel was accounted righteous how? By faith. And so all who come to Christ, all who ever will be saved, must come by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. The question this morning I close with, as I asked before, is this, what legacy are you leaving for those who will survive you? When you have departed this life, what lasting memory of you will be left for generations to come? What is your life presently communicating with respect to faith in God? What is it saying? What will your grandchildren, your children, your friends know of you that your life has communicated? What will they know of you? Will it be your faith in God, that you are a man of God, a woman of God, that you knew God, you trusted God? You see, these are the things that are of eternal consequence. May God help us to this end, for his name's sake. Amen.